Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. For book seven, chapter six, Nikolai seems to have a lot of his self-esteem tied up in this hunt, as evident by the final line. Why do you reckon? Nikolai felt flattered that, after all that had happened, his uncle still con- condescended to speak to him. Uh, Warren Kavafi says, Overall sense is that the men in this hunting party all want bragging rights. Who has the best dog? Who caught the wolf? Who will catch the rabbit? And so on. It looks like Natasha is the only one enjoying the hunt for itself, while the others just wanted to be able to boast. <clears throat> Disgruntled upvoter said, I did it. I'm completely caught up after starting three months late. Hey, nicely done. So glad to be back in here again. I'll be glad once these hunting chapters are over. I hate hunting for sport. I feel bad for the animals being hunted. Leave them alone. That being said, this was a difficult... This was a different time. I think the hunt is kind of a 19th century, century dick measuring contest. Whoever gets the biggest, best, fastest wins. Not sure why Nikolai would put so much of this activity alone. But it may just have been something they did back then. I think it was a big part of life for the aristocracy. Um, there's heaps of shows where when they go out on the hunting thing, it's like a massive part, you know? Like, um, like uh, what am I thinking of? Uh, Downton Abbey. Big hunting sections of that show. Rye Bread Eggs has really was rooting for the hare this time and good old Stumpy the Fox. Yep. Yeah. Oh, well. It's fiction. No animals were harmed in the making of this book. <laughs> let's just take solace in that fact. And let's also read chapter 7 now. Which goes like... Oh, no. It's so long. It goes forever. Oh... I remember last time I read this book, this section, just going, why is all these chapters so long? Ah, it's just just a bit of the book that's long. Here we go, chapter seven. Towards evening, Illigan took leave of Nicholas, who found that they were so far from his home that they accepted Uncle's offer that the hunting party should spend the night in his little village of Mikhailovna. And if you put up at my house, that would be better still. That's it, come on, said Uncle. You see it's damp weather, you could rest, and the little countess could be driven home in a trap. Uncle's offer was accepted, a huntsman was sent to Otradnoe for a trap, while Nicholas rode with Natasha and Petra to Uncle's house. Some five male domestic serfs, big and little, rushed out to the front porch to meet their master. A score of women serfs, old and young, as well as children, popped out from the back entrance to have a look at the hunters who were arriving. The presence of Natasha, a woman, a lady, on horseback, raised the curiosity of the serfs to such a degree that many of them came up to her, stared her in the face, and unabashed by her presence, made remarks about her as though she were some prodigy on show and not a human being able to hear and understand what was being said about her. Arenka, look, she sits sideways. There she sits and her skirt dangles. See, she's got a little hunting horn. Good gracious, see her knife? Isn't she a tartar? How is it you didn't go head over heels? asked the boldest of all, addressing Natasha directly. Uncle dismounted at the porch of the little wooden house, which stood in the midst of an overground garden, and after a glance at his retainers, shouted authoritatively that the superfluous ones should take themselves off and that all necessary preparations should be made to receive the guests and the visitors. The serfs all dispersed. Uncle lifted Natasha off her horse and, taking her hand, led her up the rickety wooden steps of the porch. The house, with its bare, unplastered log walls, was not 
over clean. It did not seem that those living in it aimed at keeping it spotless, but neither was it noticeably neglected. In the entry, there was a smell of fresh apples and wolf and fox skins hung about. Uncle led the visitors through the anteroom into a small hall with a folding table and red chairs, then into the drawing room with a round birchwood table and a sofa, and finally into his private room where there was a tattered sofa, a worn carpet, and portraits of Suvorov, of the host's father and mother, and of himself in military uniform. The study smelt strongly of tobacco and dogs. Uncle asked his visitors to sit down and make themselves at home, and then went out of the room. Rugay, his back still muddy, came into the room and lay down on the sofa, cleaning himself with his tongue and teeth. Leading from the study was a passage in which a partition with ragged curtains could be seen. From behind this came women's laughter and whispers. Natasha, Nicholas and Petya took off their wraps and sat down on the sofa. Petya, leaning on his elbow, fell asleep at once. Natasha and Nicholas were silent. Their faces glowed. They were hungry and very cheerful. They looked at one another. Now that the hunt was over and they were in this house, Nicholas no longer considered it necessary to show his manly superiority over his sister. Natasha gave him a wink and neither refrained long from bursting into a peal of ringing laughter even before they had a pretext ready to account for it. After a while, Uncle came in in a Cossack hat, blue trousers and a small top boots, and Natasha felt that this costume, the very one she had regarded with surprise and amusement at Otradnoe, was just the right thing and not at all worse than a swallowtail or frock coat. Uncle, too, was in high spirits and far from being offended by the brothers and sisters' laughter. It could never enter his head that they might be laughing at his way of life. He himself joined in the merriment. That's right, young Countess, that's it. Come on, I never saw anyone like her, said he, offering Nicholas a pipe with a long stem and with a practised practiced motion of three fingers taking down another that had been cut short she's ridden all day like a man and is as fresh as ever soon after uncle's reappearance the door was opened evidently from the sound by a barefooted girl and a stout rosy good-looking woman of about 40 with a double chin and full red lips entered carrying a large loaded tray with hospitable dignity and cordiality in her glance and in every motion, she looked at the visitors and, with a pleasant smile, bowed respectfully in spite of her exceptional stoutness, which caused her to protrude her chest and stomach and throw back her head. This woman, who was uncle's housekeeper, trod very lightly. She went to the table, set down the tray, and with her plump white hands deftly took it from the bottles and various hors d'oeuvres and dishes and arranged them on the table. When she had finished, she stepped aside and stopped at the door with a smile on her face. Here I am, I am she. Now, do you understand, uncle? Her expression said to Rostov. How could one help understanding? Not only Nicholas, but even Natasha understood the meaning of this puckered brow and happy, complacent slight smile and slightly puckering his lips when Anisya Fedorovna entered. On the tray was a bottle of herb wine, different kinds of vodka, pickled mushroom rye cakes made with buttermilk, honey in the comb, still mead and sparkling mead, apples, nuts, raw and toasted, and nut honey sweets. Afterwards, she brought a freshly roasted chicken, ham, preserves made with honey and preserves made with sugar. All this was the fruit of Anasi Fedorovna's housekeeping, gathered and prepared by her. The smell and taste of it <clears throat> all had a smack of Anise Fedorovna herself, a savour of juiciness, cleanliness, whiteness, and pleasant smiles. Take this little lady countess, she kept saying as she offered Natasha first one thing and then another. 
Natasha ate of everything and thought she had never seen or eaten such buttermilk cakes, such aromatic jam, such honey and nut sweets, or such a chicken anywhere. Anisia Fedorovna left the room. And Anisia, Anisia Fedorovna left the room. After supper, over their cherry brandy, Rostov and Uncle talked of past and future hunts and Rugay and Ilgin's dogs, while Natasha sat upright on the sofa and listened with sparkling eyes. She tried several times to wake Petya that he might eat something, but he only muttered incoherent words without waking up. Natasha felt so light-hearted and happy in these novel surroundings that she only feared the trap would come for her too soon. After a casual pause, she... Uh, sorry, after a casual pause, such as often occurs when receiving friends for the first time in one's own house, Uncle, answering a thought that was in his visitors' minds, said, This, you see, is how I am finishing my days. Death will come, that's it, come on, nothing will remain, then why harm anyone? Uncle's face was very significant and even handsome as he said this. Involuntarily, Rostov recalled all the good he had heard about him from his father and his neighbours. Throughout the whole province, Uncle had the reputation of being the most honourable and disinterested of cranks. They called him in to decide family disputes, chose him as executor, executor, confined secrets to him, elected him to be the justice and to other posts, but he always persistently refused public appointments, passing the autumn and spring in the fields on his bay gelding sitting at home in winter and lying in his overgrown garden in summer. <clears throat> Why don't you enter the service, uncle? I did once, but I gave it up. I am not fit for it. That's it. Come on. I can't make head or tail of it. That's for you. I haven't brains enough. Now, hunting is another matter. That's it. Come on. Open the door there, he shouted. Why have you shut it? The door at the end of the passage led to the huntsman's room, as they called the room for the hunt servants. There was a rapid patter of bare feet, and an unseen hand opened the door into the huntsman's room, from which came the clear sounds of a balalaika, on which someone, who was evidently a master of the art, was playing. Natasha had been listening to those strains for some time, and now went out into the passage to hear better. That's Mitka, my coachman. I have got him a good balalaika. I'm fond of it, said Uncle. It was the custom for Mitka to play the balalaika in a huntsman's room when Uncle returned from the chase. Uncle was fond of such music. How good, really very good, said Nicholas with some unintentional superciliousness, as if ashamed to confess that the sounds pleased him very much. Very good, said Natasha, reproachfully noticing her brother's tone. Not very good, it's simply delicious. Just as Uncle's pickled mushrooms, honey and cherry brandy had seemed to her the best in the world, so also that song at that moment seemed to her the acme of musical delight. More, please, more, cried Natasha at the door as soon as the balalaika ceased. Mitka turned up afresh and recommenced thrumming the balalaika to the air of my lady with trills and variations. <clears throat> Uncle sat listening, slightly smiling. With his head on one side, the air was repeated a hundred times, the balalaika was returned several times, and the same notes were thrummed again, but the listeners did not grow weary of it, and wished to hear it again and again. Anisya Fedorovna came in and leaned her portly person against the doorpost. "'You like listening?' she said to Natasha, with a smile extremely like Uncle's. "'That's a good player of ours,' she added. "'He doesn't play the part right,' said Uncle, suddenly, with an energetic gesture." Here he ought to burst out. That's it, come on, ought to burst out. Do you play, then? asked Natasha. Uncle did not answer, but smiled. Anisya, go and see if the strings of my guitar are all right. I haven't touched it for a long time. That's it, come on, I've given it up. Anisya Fedorovna, with her light step, willingly went to fulfil her errand and brought back the guitar. 
Without looking at anyone, Uncle blew the dust of it, tapping the case with his bony fingers, tuned the guitar and settled himself in the armchair. He took the guitar a little above the fingerboard, arched his left elbow with a somewhat theatrical gesture, and with a wink at Anisia Fedorovna, struck a single chord, pure and sonorous, and then quietly, smoothly and confidently began playing in very slow time. Not My Lady, but the well-known song Came a Maiden Down the Street. The tune played with precision and in exact time began to thrill in the hearts of Nicholas and Natasha, arousing in them the same kind of sober mirth as radiated from Anisia Fedorovna's whole being. Anisia Fedorovna flushed and drawing her kerchief over her face went laughing out of the room. Uncle continued to play correctly, carefully, with energetic firmness, looking with a changed and inspired expression at the spot where Anisia Fedorovna had just stood. Something seemed to be laughing a little on one side of his face under his grey moustache, especially as the song grew brisker and the time quicker, and when here and there, as he ran his fingers over the strings, something seemed to snap. Lovely, lovely, go on, uncle, go on, shouted Natasha as soon as he had finished. She jumped up and hugged him and kissed him. Nicholas, Nicholas, she said, turning to her brother as if asking him, what is it that moves me so? Nicholas, too, was greatly pleased by Uncle's playing, and Uncle played the piece over again as Anisia Fedorovna's smiling face reappeared in the door, and behind hers are the faces. Fetching water clear and sweet, stop, dear maiden, I entreat, played Uncle once more, running his fingers skillfully over the strings, and then he stopped short and jerked his shoulders. Go on, Uncle dear, Natasha wailed in an imploring tone as if her life depended on it. Uncle rose. And it was as if there were two men in him. One of them smiled seriously at the merry fellow, while the other fellow struck a naive and precise attitude preparatory to a folk dance. Now then, niece, he exclaimed, waving at Natasha, the hand that had just struck a chord. Natasha threw off the shawl <clears throat> from her shoulders, ran forward to face uncle, and setting her arms akimbo also made a motion with her shoulders and struck an attitude. Where, how, and when had this young countess, educated by an emigre French governess, imbibed from the Russian air, she breathed that spirit and obtained that manner which the pasteur chal, the French shawl dance, would, one would have supposed long ago, have effaced. But the spirit and the movements were those inimitable and unteachable Russian ones that Uncle had expected of her. As soon as she had struck her pose and smiled triumphantly, proudly, and with a sly merriment, the face that had at first seized Nicholas and the others, that she might not do the right thing, was at an end, and they were already admiring her. She did the right thing with such precision, such complete precision, that Anisia Fedorovna, who had at once handed her the handkerchief she needed for the dance, had tears in her eyes, though she laughed as she watched this slim, graceful countess, reared in silks and velvets, and so different from herself, who yet was able to understand all that was in Anisha and in Anisha's father and mother and aunt, and in every Russian man and woman. Well, little countess, that's it, come on, cried uncle, with a joyous laugh, having finished the dance. Well done, niece, now a fine young fellow must be found as husband for you, that's it, come on. He's chosen already, said Nicholas, smiling. Oh, said Uncle, in surprise, looking inquiringly at Natasha, who nodded her head with a happy smile. And such a one, she said. But as soon as she had said it, a new train of thoughts and feelings arose in her. What did Nicholas's smile mean when he said chosen already? Is he glad of it or not? It is as if he thought my Bolkonsky would not approve of or understand our gaiety. But he would understand it all. 
Where is he now? she thought, and her face suddenly became serious. But this lasted only a second. Don't dare to think about it, she said to herself, and sat down again, smiling beside Uncle, begging him to play something more. Uncle played another song, and a vowels. Then, after a pause, he cleared his throat and sang his favourite hunting song. As twas growing dark last night, fell the snow so soft and light. Uncle sang as peasants sing, with full and naive conviction that the whole meaning of a song lies in the words and that the tune comes of itself, and that apart from the words there is no tune, which exists only to give measure to the words. As a result of this unconsidered tune, like the song of a bird, was extraordinarily good, Natasha was in ecstasies over Uncle's singing. She resolved to give up learning the harp and to play only the guitar. She asked Uncle for his guitar and at once found the chords of a song. After nine o'clock, two traps and three mounted men who had been sent to look for them arrived to fetch Natasha and Petra. The Count and Countess did not know where they were and were very anxious, said one of the men. Petra was carried out like a log and laid in the larger of the two traps. Natasha and Nicholas got into the other. Uncle wrapped Natasha up warmly and took leave of her with quiet, quite a new tenderness. He accompanied them on foot as far as the bridge that could not be crossed so that they had to go round by the ford and he sent huntsmen to ride in front of the lanterns. Goodbye, dear niece, his voice called out of the darkness. Not that voice Natasha had grown previously, but known previously, but the one that had sung as twas growing dark last night. In the village through which they passed there were red lights and a cheerful smell of smoke. What a darling uncle is, said Natasha, when they had come out onto the high road. Yes, returned Nicholas. You're not cold? No, I'm quite, quite all right. I feel so comfortable, answered Natasha, almost perplexed by her feelings. They remained silent a long while. The night was dark and damp. They could not see the horses, but only heard them splashing through the unseen mud. What was passing in that receptive childlike soul that so eagerly caught and assimilated all the diverse impressions of life? How did they all find place in her? But she was very happy. As they were nearing home, she suddenly struck up the air of As Twas Growing Dark Last Night, the tune of which she had all the way been trying to get and had at last caught. Got it, said Nicholas. What were you thinking about just now, Nicholas? inquired Natasha. They were fond of asking one another that question. I, said Nicholas, trying to remember. Well, you see, first I thought that Rugay, the red hound, was like uncle, and that if he were a man, he would always keep uncle near him, if not for his riding, then for his manner. What a good fellow uncle is. Don't you think so? Well, and you? I? Oh, wait a bit, wait. Yes, first I thought that we were driving along and imagining that we were going home, but that heaven knows where we are really going in the darkness, and that we shall arrive and suddenly find that we are not in Otranoe, but in fairyland. And then I thought, no, nothing else. I know, I expect you thought of him, said Natasha, smiling as Natasha knew by the sound of his voice. No, said Natasha, though she had in reality been thinking of Prince Andre at the same time as the rest, and of how he would have liked Uncle. And then I was saying to myself all the way how well Anisia carried herself, how well. And Nicholas heard her spontaneous, happy, ringing laughter. And do you know, she suddenly said, I know that I shall never again be as happy and tranquil as I am now. Rubbish, nonsense, humbug, exclaimed Nicholas. And he thought, how charming this Natasha of mine is. I have no other friend like her and never shall have. Why should she marry? We might always drive about together. What a darling this Nicholas of mine is, thought Natasha.
Ah, there are still lights on in the drawing room, she said, pointing to the windows of the house that gleamed invitingly in the moist, velvety darkness of the night. Alrighty. Hell of a chapter. Whew. What a mouthful. Hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.